Welcome to another exciting episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network and the Galaxy Far, Far Away. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me this time is a pair of low-down, scruffy-looking scoundrels who sang the infamous Star Wars rap, Nothing But an X-Wing Baby, a song that deserves its own spotlight on this show someday. First up, making his second consecutive appearance on Give Me Those Star Wars, it's Chris Zagunas. What's up, Chris? Hey, Ryan. How's it going, man? Good. Uh, and the semi-permanent co-host of Fire and Water Records, please welcome my brother, Neil Daly. What's up, Neil? Hey, man. I'm more like a semi-permanent gloss. If you don't mind, I'd like to be referred to as that, if we can. Can do. Can do. I'll change that. So, <laughs> I'll, I'm writing that down. So. <laughs> Thanks. And also joining us for the first time, Jason McCann. What's up, Jason? Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. All right, folks, we're here with the first episode of 2021 to discuss a character who is primed to make a big impact at the end of the year. And no, I'm not talking about Porkins. We're talking (laughs) about Boba Fett, the legendary bounty hunter who defined everything cool about Star Wars for a whole generation and who achieved an almost mythical status of fan devotion, despite the fact that he didn't actually do a whole lot on the screen until very recently. Boba Fett debuted in an animated segment in the 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special, in which he was voiced by Don Franks. Two years later, he appeared in live action in The Empire Strikes Back, where he was played by actor Jeremy Bullock, except for one scene where he was played by John Morton, the guy who played Luke Snowspeeder Gunner Dak, and originally voiced by Jason Wingreen. Fett appeared again in 1983's Return of the Jedi, where he apparently died. In 2002, Boba Fett's origin was told in Attack of the Clones, where we meet his father, Jango Fett, played by Tamar Morrison, and a 10-year-old Boba Fett, played by Daniel Logan. The Clone Wars animated series continued the story of young Boba Fett, showing how he got involved with older, more established bounty hunters. In 2020, Boba Fett returned very much alive in the Disney Plus show The Mandalorian, now played by Tamara Morrison, since it was revealed that Boba is a clone of his father, Jango. Morrison's voice has also retroactively replaced all of Jason Wingreen's dialogue from The Empire Strikes Back on all versions of the film released since 2002. In December of this year, fans will discover what the future holds for this character in The Book of Boba Fett, coming to Disney Plus from producers John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Robert Rodriguez. There's a lot about this character that we're going to talk about, but we also want to acknowledge the passing of Jeremy Bullock, who, for many fans, was Boba Fett for a good two decades. Like David Prowse to Darth Vader, Bullock did not voice Boba Fett, but he wore the suit. He stood on the set. He cut that silhouette. He donned the Mandalorian armor before anybody knew what the hell that meant. Bullock died of complications from Parkinson's disease on December 17th, 2020. He was 75 years old, but his legend will live on. Okay, guys, we'll probably circle back around to Bullock's portrayal in a bit, but before that... 
who was Boba Fett to you? Where, like, what did you think about him starting with the original trilogy? Uh, Chris, big picture, like who, how and when did you discover him and what did you think? Well, I mean, chronologically, even though this was deleted from my memory banks, I did first see Boba Fett in that infamous 1978 Christmas <laughs> special. Uh, or, or I should say holiday special. It was uh, Life Day, not Christmas. Life Day. Exactly. Um, and I know, I know for a fact that by the time I saw the movie, I did not connect the two. I, I think most of what happened in that holiday special was very confusing. Uh, so it, as, as an adult me, like I, actually, I actually went back. Uh, and made, I think it's more confusing now. It, it really is. I went back and tried to watch Imagine it, like, how confused the cooked up actors were. Yeah. Exactly. And I watched that animated sequence again, um, and it's actually one of the better, more coherent parts of it, and Boba Fett, as portrayed in it, actually comes off pretty well. But I think like most people, I don't think that I, I, I connected that with the character that we then saw in The Empire Strikes Back. For one thing, the color scheme was all different. I mean, in fairness, they did say his name in that. But again, two-year difference. And that special was lost in, in you know, the it was just swept away into the, you know, uh, sands of time. And so by the time Empire came out, no one was even thinking about it. So that was probably the first time I was really drawn in. And I think uh, what really enamored most people, you know, most of the kids of my generation with the character was there was, of course, uh, in the lead up to the movie, the special send away that Kenner had for the rocket firing uh, action figure that actually never was sent out because apparently, I don't know, somebody lost an eye or something. And so there, there was all this kind of mystique built up because like, who was this character? What, what's his deal? And I think the way he was portrayed in empire was extraordinarily cool. And I don't know if you want to get into it in this particular segment, but I will die on the hill that says Boba Fett is a character worth the hype. And I will make that argument. I won't do it now. We can do that later if you'd like. Yeah, I think they did him dirty in Jedi, but uh, you know he was kind of cool in the beginning. He had that you know that that, that really cool head nod mm-hmm. at uh, Princess Leia in her bounty hunter disguise. Um, but yeah, it was the Empire Strikes Back. I mean, he's just uh, top to bottom, very cool in that movie, and that's I think the the image that uh, I always carry with me when I think of Boba Fett is him in that movie. Yeah, it, I mean, obviously, you know, Chris and I being of the same generation, I think it was the exact same thing. Although, although I will say, I do not remember ever seeing the holiday special. I knew of it, and I don't think I ever saw it until like a year or two ago. Now, I'm saying I'm sure I probably did see it. I just have no memory of it. And like Chris, I'm there. There's probably a conscious part of me that deleted it from my memory. Exactly. Um, so it had to be. It had to be with the mail order action figures ahead of Empire. And it, like Chris said, you know, he was advertised as having like a working rocket launcher and that was so cool. And they showed, I think there might've been a commercial for it too, or something. I don't remember how, but there was, for some reason, my, I, I have a vague memory of seeing it in action and then it never got mass produced because, you know, it, like it killed like a school bus of children or something like that. You know, I don't know, <laughs> but, but um, ironically though, the, uh, and this is getting kind of off subject. Um, the, just, I think in the past week or two, a mint condition prototype rocket launching Boba Fett figure just broke the previous record at auction and sold for 180,000 just like wow. within, within the last couple of weeks. I think previously it had sold for 120 and now it, it upped that just within the last, within the last month or so. So yeah, it, it would be that 
Um, there's other things that we'll go into as we go on, but I do remember, and I'll talk more about this as we go forward, but I don't know, Chris, do you remember, I was a member of the Star Wars fan club community called Bantha Tracks. Bantha Tracks. Yeah. yeah do you remember that? Okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, and there was, they had a bunch of cool, like, it was like a newsletter or something. That's pretty much right. all it was. Wow. There was right. stuff that, you, but I, I have the weirdest memory of them hyping up. Boba Fett as the new big bad like a year or two before the Empire came out Mm. and it always left me with the weird impression even as I got older that I feel like Boba Fett was meant to be a bigger character than he was and I thought maybe you know you know just for time constraints or whatever I think a lot of his story might have just got cut out of the final script for Empire I always felt Mm. like he was meant to be bigger and I don't know why I don't have anything to base that on factually. This is just a memory I have as a kid. Um, and then Ryan, lastly, the one thing I want to, I want to add an addendum to something you mentioned in the previous, in, in your intro, Boba Fett's first appearance. Yes. Uh, on screen was in the holiday special. However, the character Boba Fett first made a public appearance at the San Anselmo County fair parade in 1978 leading up to Christmas before the holiday special came out and it was on September 24th Ryan's birthday <laughs> so wow. I, I just thought that was super cool that the character actually made an appearance at, at, a, at a fair and uh, I think I, I read this recently uh, Boba Fett costume was worn by a guy named Dwayne Dunham and he was working as an assistant film editor. He later became a film and te- television director. But that technically is the first public appearance of Boba Fett before anybody saw him on screen. So I just thought I'd throw that out there and give a shot to Ryan's birthday. Wow. Three, three years before my birth. So, yeah. Yeah. so wait, so was it like a, was the cast? Two years like- before John Bonham died. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's all, all the dots are connected now. <laughs> is that, uh, was it, was it, a, what did the costume look like? Did it, was it like film accurate? Did it looks like what it eventually would look like in the movie or did it look from like what? It, yeah. From what I gather, it looks like it was pretty colorful and accurate um, from the information I got. Now I will come back to this at some point in the podcast. Um, have you got, I don't want to, well, spoiler alert, I'll get to it eventually. Have you guys seen the footage of the white prototype Boba Fett costume? Yes. Okay. All right, because I want to talk about that later on. I think it was Ben Burt or Ralph McQuarrie did like a screen yeah. test. And yeah. and yeah, that is awesome. And that was when I think I remember seeing that. And then I think it's Ben Burt who's doing the narration or, or the interview. And he's, you know, going like up and down the costume, talking about all the detail points and stuff like that. But I, right. the one thing I remember is in that interview, he said that they had just, he was just told that they were colorizing it. So it was going to be, it was supposed to be like a white off stormtrooper kind of thing. And then they decided mm-hmm. to color. So anyway, so I'm to answer your question, Chris, I think by the time this, this character debuted, I think it was colored. That's interesting. Yeah. Jason, what was your first impression or first experience with Boba Fett? So I, I got into star Wars a little bit later in the nineties when the re-releases came out. And I think what Boba Fett did for me was he was this character in those two movies. that was barely on screen but he was such a cool looking character that you wanted to know more about. And what Boba Fett opened me up to is all of like the comic books and all of the, the, you know, now defunct uh, canon books that were Star Wars legends. So I think one of the first novels I ended up reading was called like the Mandalorian armor or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, but that's what Boba Fett was for. Like he kind of helped me realize that there's all this other Star Wars lore and storytelling that's, not just in the movies. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I'm uh, somewhat closer to that, obviously being being younger than Neil and Chris, because I remember seeing the movies and the original trilogy and growing up and watching those on VHS and thinking that he looked cool, but more or less kind of like just leaving it at that. I mean, he was a, he was a smaller character who kind of got killed off, but I think it was probably in the early 90s, Neil, I remember we went on a trip to Florida, you, me, and mom. Maybe it was she was doing like a, a nursing conference or something, or, or we were visiting our uncle or something like that. But we, we went to the Universal Studios in Orlando. I think we did the, the Star Tours event, which at the time was at MGM Studios. Was that like the, the sub? Oh, God. I don't. <laughs> no, I thought Star Tours was Disney, though, wasn't it? It's, it's always been Disney, yeah. Has yeah. it? Okay. Okay, yeah. so yeah, it would have been, been Disney World, right? Because I, re- I remember, I think I remember that trip. We did Disney World and Epcot Center and stuff. Well, Neil, that's that's you brought back that Boba Fett t-shirt that I still own. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's, you're right. That's yeah. what I was going to. Yeah. That was the trip. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember we went on Star Tours, and I thought the, the ride itself was actually pretty dumb. But the, <laughs> the gift shop outside, like the Star Wars gift shop, was basically I wanted to move in there. I was like, "Why do we have to go back to the hotel room? Let's just sleep here." Um, yeah, and, and I got like a bunch of stuff, like a, some model of the Battle of Hoth, which proved very early on that I'm not good at models. I don't have the <laughs> that type of thing. Um, but we got a couple of things, like we got the that that Boba Fett t-shirt, which I think we got two of them because you got one for yourself. And I think I got one for me, but it was too big for me. I had to wait like a couple of years until I could grow into it. Mm, I never got one for me. The one I got was for Chris. That was specifically okay, so, for Chris. Yeah. Um, and then we got like a couple of books. Like we got the, the guide to the star Wars galaxy, which was like the, that was Wikipedia. awesome. That was pretty cool. All of the entries mm-hmm. for, Oh, that was awesome. The movies. And then like the few books that had come out, like the Thrawn trilogy. And the, so mm-hmm. this was probably like 92 or 93 ish. Um, because I think we also got the the trade paperback for the Star Wars Dark Empire comic book that collected the miniseries, and that had the return of Boba Fett in it. Like he, they, yep. they brought the yeah. character back, and I remember you showing me that page and telling me how cool that was that he was back, and now he was flying in Slave Two. He had a brand new. Yep. Yes. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm remembering all the stuff now. Um, yeah, I, re- I remember that gift shop also had this was long. This was years before cosplay became a super popular thing. Um, I remember that gift shop had like official helmets of like stormtroopers, mm-hmm. Vader, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they were they were like two or three hundred dollars for the things. You know, it was something yeah. we could never get. But I remember they were they were like movie realistic. They were like they were like mm-hmm. official. I just remember like that that comic that miniseries brought back the Emperor and Boba Fett. So in my mind, they were of like equal importance. I was like, okay, okay, the next Star Wars story that they want to tell, they need to bring back these two villains. I mean, like more than Darth Vader. I was like, okay, then Boba Fett must be pretty important and pretty cool. (laughs) And that kind of cemented it. Was that the storyline where Dengar pulled him out of the Sarlacc pit? Yes, they referenced it. Yeah, because Dengar is with him. And then, and then, yeah, then they they did. They would tell more stories because then there were anthology books like Tales from Jabba's Palace, where there's a story about Boba Fett in the Sarlacc pit and how he escapes. Um, and then, yeah, there was like a Bounty Hunter Wars trilogy of books. And I think the Mandalorian armor one, Jason, that you mentioned, I think that was like book one in that trilogy. Yeah, I, th- I remember going to like Barnes and Noble as a kid and then mm-hmm. seeing these books and there's a picture of Boba Fett and being like, 
wait a second, there's a whole book about this badass. I ended up up reading all those, like reading those books. And then as soon as I was done with those, it opened me up to, Oh, okay. What's this, what's the shadows of the empire book? What's, Mm -hmm. what's the Timothy Zahn trilogy about, you know? So I, Boba Fett was important in helping me realize that there's this whole expanded universe of storytelling within star Wars. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, I, I never even thought about, how little screen time he actually has in the movies because just coming in of my age, like all of this expanded universe material, this content, it was like they couldn't wait to write books and comics about this guy, you know, like once, once, you know, the publishers got a hold of it. So to me, like that kind of, I was like, okay, he, he must be super important and super cool. Later, years later, and, and it'll kind of tie into like what, what happens, I think, after the prequels come out. I have heard other people, maybe it kind of became fashionable in like the 2000s to kind of say, you know, well, was he really that cool? He didn't really do anything, you know, and I've heard more kind of like a backlash against that. Um, Chris, you said that the character was every bit worth the hype. Yes. What is your what's your argument for that? Yeah, I think the take that Boba Fett is an overrated character is is wrong. It's a bad take. Um, one thing you have to keep in mind is the context of the time period when those movies were first coming out. Because I usually hear this take from uh, people that are younger that came to the movies later and had all the movies and some of this, you know, supplemental expanded universe material available to them, like kind of for immediate ingestion, right? Boba Fett is introduced in The Empire Strikes Back. You take The Empire Strikes Back on its own, I think it's undeniable that he is one cool badass dude in that movie, right? So when that movie comes out, it's three years before Return of the Jedi comes out. It's three years of people, you know, having seen Boba Fett, having seen how cool he is, a cool character design, probably rivaling only the Millennium Falcon for the best ship design in Star Wars, I think. I think Slave One is just a really cool design ship. It's just one of those really unique, you know, Star Wars designs. It doesn't look like what you would think a spaceship should look like. And yet it's just really <laughs> right. cool. So it's three years of this mystique and buildup and like, and then you see him in Jedi and you know, he's got a couple of cool moments early on. And then, I mean, he dies screaming like Shemp from the three stooges. And you're just like, <laughs> why, why did they do that to him? I mean, it's bad enough that they kill him that way, but like he has to scream that way. It's, 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 it's horrible. Now, To go back to The Empire Strikes Back, the argument that Boba Fett didn't do anything is just erroneous because he did do something. He did something very important. Okay, He outwitted Han Solo. Mm -hmm. And that is the big deal about who he is and what he is. Okay, Han Solo is obviously the hotshot pilot, the, the cool guy of the series, always two steps ahead of everyone else, outwits the Empire. They didn't know where he was. Right. He's 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 taken on, a, you know, a, a fleet of uh, Star Destroyers and he baffles them all. They have all the radar and whatever, you know, to try to find them. They lost it. They don't know what happened to him. Boba Fett knew Boba Fett tracked him to Cloud City and then turned him in for the bounty. And that's the thing, the singular thing that Boba Fett did that made him cool is he is the only character in that original trilogy that gets the best of Han Solo. And that is the creates the mystique and carries him over to Jedi. Now, by the time you get to Jedi, obviously he he didn't die great, and then 
you know, you get into the later expanded universe stuff. I remember the Dark Empire graphic novel, and and then I believe they told a slightly different story in Tales of the Bounty Hunters. I, I thought I don't recall if they mentioned Dengar in that story. I thought he just kind of jetpacked his way out, which you know it, it's reasonable that a guy with a jetpack could probably get out of there, but. You know, and then obviously, you know, prequels, and then now he's back again in The Mandalorian. But yeah, it all goes back to that thing. Okay. He is the one guy that outwitted Han Solo, and that's what made him cool. And that's what makes him a worthwhile character that is worth the hype. You know what, Ryan? If I can piggyback real quick on one thing Chris just mentioned, too, which actually further backs up Chris's argument. Um, the one thing, the one line that I always thought was really, really cool, and this was, you know, I had no idea about adult negotiations and things like that as a kid, but there was something about in the carbon freezing chamber when basically Vader redirects the whole argument about everything. Everything he told Lando is completely thrown out the window and he's like, I'm altering the deal. You know, he's like, fuck mm-hmm. you. You can get with mm-hmm. it, you know, whatever. But when Boba Fett's like, Hey, I'm worried about my prize. Darth Vader says the empire will compensate you if he dies. In other words, there right. was something like Boba Fett brought some clout to that argument. And cause Darth Vader didn't yes. have to, <laughs> you know, it was, he could. So I, even as a kid, there was something I always kind of thought like, Wow. Okay. Like, is is Boba Fett like is is Darth Vader threatened by him? And of course, you know, I was. This is my young mind thinking about this stuff. But it does lend credence to what Chris said about the whole. Like, Boba Fett brought something to the table, and I'll give him and, that. And you know what? I mean, that's a great point. Is Vader basically treated him like an equal? In that yes. Movie. Yeah. Like, like he, he did he dealt with him like an equal. Everyone else can go fuck themselves. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Boba Fett was his equal. And, you know, and there's also the small moment, you know, it's another small one in terms of Boba Fett kind of being on a different plane of awareness than everyone else around him. When Luke first sneaks into Cloud City, they're they're, they're carting Han off to Slave One and they got a whole, you know, squadron of stormtroopers and Imperial officers. None of them see Luke, but Boba Fett does. He he doubles back and, and, and starts shooting at him. So, I mean, the guy was portrayed... You know, he wasn't just a dude in cool armor. I mean, like he he lived up to it. He you know he he was portrayed in the as the character as a badass, and the characters around him, you know, in particular Darth Vader, acknowledged that that you know he was treated as an equal. Darth Vader, like you know, like, yeah, like Neil said, he was like, yeah, we'll 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 take care of you. Don't you worry about it. Yeah, yeah. And even remember the 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 lineup of bounty hunters. You know, the only person singled out by Vader is Boba Fett. The only exactly. person he points exactly. his finger at him and says no disintegration. Like in other words, you have a reputation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So all of that, all of that tied into what, what made this character so cool and, and and built this mystique around him, and you know made the hype legitimate. I agree with what you guys are saying, and I would. I think there's at least four specific beats that I could point to that would that would justify and, and back up what we're saying. Um, and I think the first one is, yeah, in that first scene when he's when Vader singles him out and says no disintegrations and like points the finger at him, suggesting that they have a history or Fett has a reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, characters in this universe that Boba Fett is something special. And if that's that's not just a construct of marketing or you know whatever fan speculation or something, that is textual in the story. Um, right. they, they put that right out that this is a character that people notice. So that's one. Um, two, what you were saying, Chris, Boba Fett like outsmarts Han Solo. He actually he figures it out. He picks up on what tr- what Solo is doing, his trick to get away from the Empire, figures it out, 
tracks him and is able to anticipate that the Millennium Falcon is heading to Bespin. Maybe Boba mm-hmm. Fett knew about Han's connection to Lando Calrissian. <coughs> Maybe he could just plot a course like in the stars or whatever. But he knows that because the Imperials get to Cloud City before the Millennium Falcon does. That's what Lando says. They arrived right before you did. Mm-hmm. So right. Fett was able to, to anticipate that. The one thing that you also mentioned, Boba Fett knew that Luke Skywalker was coming for them. He picked up on that and doubled back and 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 like basically got him off their tail. So if they were to do like a, a reboot or a special edition today, it might be cool if they had more of a protracted action sequence. But for what it was for the time, I mean, Luke didn't go there to fight Boba Fett. He went there to fight Darth Vader. So, well, more you know, just, more importantly, Boba Fett wasn't there to get in a firefight with Luke either. Right, Boba, right exactly. Boba, like Boba Fett, his his like I you know, I think I recognize this more as an adult than as a kid because as a kid I was like, oh, I wanted a big shootout. Like I would have loved to see like them fight one on one. But as an adult, I'm like, no, Boba Fett had money on the table. Like that was the thing. He had to get the fuck out of there. That was right, his exactly. that was his deal. So he just bought himself some time by shooting at Luke and then took off. And then that was like it makes perfect sense for a mercenary. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then my fourth moment that I would point to, which is one of my, it's my favorite scene in the whole movie, is when Han Solo was put into carbonite. I love everything about that scene. I love the setting of the, the carbon mm-hmm. freezing yeah. chamber, like everything from the look. I love what is going on, like in the thought processes of every character mm-hmm. from Vader to Lando to Han and Leia and Chewie, everything about that. Boba Fett's just standing there, just waiting for this to see. To, he's like, if he survives, I'm getting paid, but if he died, <laughs> Peter said, I'm getting paid anyway, so I'm just watching this. When Chewie loses his shit like a dog. Oh, I know exactly what you're saying. Starts tossing stormtroopers over the edge. Right. Boba Fett quick draws his rifle and aims it. He's ready to take down Chewie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And Vader is like, put your gun down, idiot. I need these people alive for the next five minutes just to see if this process works. He's like, you're not going to shoot anybody and damage these things before I can test this thing to see if it'll work on my real target. So I, but I just love the fact that as soon as, as soon as Chewie it like, like lashes out and everything, I'm trying to think like uh, Al Pacino has a lot as a line from heat, like at the drop of hat, he's ready to rock and roll or, you know, um, right. like he just, he has his gun drawn that quickly and Vader's just like, put it down, stop it. Yeah. Uh, but the fact he, that he was that, he was that quick, like in He did the, uh, he did the same thing at the beginning of the Jedi. When, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. His quick draw under the cape brings it, whips it out from under the cape. Yeah. The thermal detonator comes out yeah. and he's already yeah. got the gun out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was something really like there's a, again, I'm, I'm kind of coming to a realization now too, which I think is neat but like darth vader had to have like a hundred different divisions of labor underneath them meaning admirals lieutenants commanders like all this like there was you know the chain of command underneath vader the weird thing is throughout this entire process the mercenary is at his side the whole time you know i mean there was no there was no like direct lieutenant under vader that was standing next to him inside no i mean even in the in the dining room you know the only person in the room with vader is Boba Fett. So there was something, yeah, like, like I said at the very beginning, I have a tendency to believe that the Boba Fett character in an overarching, I, th- I feel like before this, the script got whittled down to like a two hour script. I feel like the Boba Fett character probably had a lot more to do. Yeah, maybe. maybe. As for, as for his appearances in return of the Jedi, the one thing I didn't like more than his death scene actually was like this, the suggestion that he's just hanging out at Jabba's palace. Like he's on retainer. Um, And they kind of, when they included him in the special edition of A New Hope, 
Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. My, my least favorite scene. It, like, I, I, I hate that so they that, added that scene in the movie. That's when he mugs for the camera. <laughs> yeah. Which is the whole um, scene. Bringing job. Yeah, yeah, the whole yeah. scene itself. Terrible. I, I hate Terrible. it. Terrible. Um, but the fact that just Boba Fett is just there hanging out. I'm like, okay, well, we, we can get some closure with this character. I've always kind of given his death. I don't like it, but I kind of gave it a pass just because. For one thing, I mean, when again, when Luke springs into action, he's doing his thing. Boba Fett gives him a harder time than anybody else. Boba Fett is able to shoot his little like whatever tension line thing um, and is able to stall him until he just he gets that lucky like ricochet shot. And then, yeah, Han knocking him out while he's blind just kind of accidentally. It's a it's a punk ass way to go out. But part of me always forgave it because. I get caught up in the adventurous whimsy of that scene as like uh, an old pirate movie, you know, kind of escape. And yeah, there's just something fun about that scene that, yeah, okay, I don't like the way he's screaming as he goes out, but it's a memorable death. I mean, 20 guys end up going into the belly of the Sarlacc pit. Boba Fett's is the death that you remember more than anybody else. So Because it burped. It burped, (laughs) yeah. Was there disappointment in that, waiting for three years and then... Like was there was crushing. all this clout and mystique that Chris was talking about, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Yeah, this badass character's back on screen." Oh wait, he's he's done. Yeah, so short an- short answer to your question, Jay. Yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was crushing. It was yeah. It was Thirty like- years later, it was all the people who spent a lot of money buying Captain Phasma <laughs> right before the Force oh, Awakens, right? and then they're like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. yeah, I almost felt like there should have been like maybe like if if there was ever. I mean, I don't remember if there was talk about ever doing Star Wars spinoffs back in the early 80s. I think once Jedi was done, we were done for a long time. But I think like there there was there would have been, you know, doing like something with Boba Fett in the middle of Empire and then Jedi to show that he didn't just hang out at Jabba's throne room for three years, you know, just show that he was busy doing something. Uh, would have you know it sure would have made his death a little easier to swallow. Well, I, yeah, and as Jason mentioned, like there was, was it for the fifteenth anniversary or it was like nineteen ninety six or nineteen ninety seven? So maybe it was the twentieth anniversary of Star Wars. They did this Shadows of the Empire. Uh, yeah, it was, was ninety seven. Okay, yeah, and, and this was like a whole multimedia. They basically did every type of media except for film about the right. story of what happened in the year between the the empire strikes back and return of the jedi there was a novelization there was a comic book there was a video game there was a toy line yep. and they all covered different aspects and different things of the story of what was leia doing between that time what was luke doing what was darth vader doing in the year between uh and one of them was boba fett taking han solo to jabba as all of the other bounty hunters in the galaxy are trying to ambush him and take it for themselves to get the right. bounty oh, how very mandalorian yeah. by the way it's a that, that game that nintendo 64 game that came out for that was Excellent. And you actually fight Boba Fett as a boss in that game, and it's really cool. So then we get Attack of the Clones in 2002. Um, Hmm. (laughs) Does anybody like what we learned about Boba Fett in that movie? Make Jason go first. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, defend Attack of the Clones, Jason. Yeah. Yeah, No, I. For me, it's, I don't know, it's, this is like an obscure reference, but in uh, The Dark Knight, like, you, the Joker works so well because you don't know his background. It, or like right. a character like Wolverine, you don't know their history. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of Boba Fett being this badass merc 
that, that we don't need to have a backstory for. So right. I, I felt like in Attack of the Clones, having him as a kid just kind of cheapened it. Yeah, I agree. First of all, I'm not sure how obscure the Dark Knight and Wolverine are. I think they're pretty pretty mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just comparatively, I don't know. I'm just messing with you, man. We, we got to haze you a little bit. It's your first appearance. Oh, right, right, right. Nobody listening yeah. to the podcast has ever seen a Batman movie, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not, just, not the fan base. Yeah. But um, again, you have the three-year <laughs> wait between movies. So when Attack of the Clones introduced that, I mean, I was open to the idea. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, this could be interesting. And then, of course, you have like the moment at the end when, you know, or towards the end when Mace Windu kills Django, and then you see Boba Fett like on the battlefield holding the helmet and you're like okay maybe they're gonna do something cool with this and they don't so it's like he, like <laughs> he doesn't come back in the next movie i'm like well what was the point of any of that and you know in retrospect looking back you know at the prequel trilogy i mean showing us Boba Fett when he's 10 years old to Jason's point is completely as unnecessary as it was showing us Anakin at 10 years old. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing gained from that. We didn't need that story. It didn't inform anything about, about the narrative. So yeah, I didn't learn anything about the character other than maybe it's, you know, like a little bit of trivia that that's ultimately kind of silly, you know, that he basically is the, you know, one of the prototypes for the entire clone army. I mean, whatever, you know, and then I, you know, and, and that's why I never really responded to, you know, like they tried to carry it over into, into the Clone Wars uh, animated series. And he was only a handful of episodes, but I mean, they were some of my, my least favorite episodes. Cause I just don't give a shit about this kid as like a preteen. I mean, I, I like, like Jason said it pretty succinctly. We, I, I don't really need to know his backstory. Like, he, you know, he's a bounty hunter. He's ruthless. He's a badass. That's good enough. <laughs> I had I had identical notes as both you guys. The only difference between everything you said and I said um, was that my my comparison would have been to Michael Myers from Halloween. It was it yeah, was yeah, that you, you know like he was scarier when you just don't know anything about him. I don't need to know his backstory. That like a masked figure in the darkness hunting you is scary. Like I just yeah I I, I would I would dare to say that you showing him as a kid and the whole story that they gave him and everything, I would say actually tarnished his legacy. Like that I just made like they were trying to make him like a sympathetic child and give reason for him to grow up and do what he did. It was yeah, it was best case best best description I would give it is unnecessary. Worst case description I would say it was it hurt him. Yeah. I, I a, agree. A, I think it I think it was more damaging to the character. Yeah. I, I think it, it goes beyond being unnecessary. Because that was how yeah. I used to I, like again when I when I first saw it, I was like, okay, Django Fett, let me try and separate my family. Django Fett looks cool because again, we're seeing that armor again that looks cool, but it's slightly different. It looks cleaner, it's polished, it's got a mm-hmm. slightly color scheme. He looks cool. He's got the two blasters by his hip, so it's slightly different. I actually, I used to really, really like the the battle between Jango Fett and Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that used to be one of my favorite scenes in all of the prequels, just because we had never had an action scene like that in any Star Wars movie. A battle between a Jedi and a non-Jedi and it was sort of like even up, like they were even odds. I was like, this is a really cool scene. So I kind of gave Django Fett more leeway for that. But yeah, again, it's like, okay, so he's a bounty hunter and we're going to, we're supposed to care and fear his son who grows up to be a bounty hunter just like him. But the more I thought about it, the fact that he's a 
clone just grown at a slightly like different level than but he essentially is just a clone of his father Django Fett and all of the millions of clone troopers are also clones of Django Fett so Boba Fett is literally one out of millions mm-hmm. <laughs> who are just like that on a genetic level the, yeah. so there's he just has a normal life cycle <laughs> yeah it, like right. he, so he is not special anymore. He's literally one out of millions of identical millions. copies. Yeah, I didn't even think of it that like, way. That's really, that's really that's depressing. Plus, so when you think, okay, okay, so he looks just like every clone trooper we see. He fights just like every clone trooper we see. I mean, he will have a different life cycle, so we'll see that he kind of does change and evolve a little bit. But like, I was like, so that no, like talk about just completely ruining the mystique. It's not just that we see him as a kid who's really bad with this dialogue and just kind of annoying. It's like, that's not necessary. But the fact that he's just one of these clones, like you just told me there's nothing special or unique about this guy. He is just mm. like all of these clone troopers. Yeah. And it ruined it. Yeah. And it was just another decision that, you know, like shrinks the universe. I mean, like Boba Fett mm-hmm. did not need to be central to any of this like, yeah. In any way. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, and plus, like, again, it doesn't inform anything that comes after. So it's like, it doesn't make any sense for anything to, you know, have that be a part of it. I just agree with Chris. Like, I was going to say, I feel like a lot, and not just that one connection, like in the prequels, even Yoda going and meeting Chewbacca somehow, I felt like any of those small <laughs> yeah. little connections and. Yeah. Like they're just tying these characters together, but all it's doing is is shrinking the universe mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Which is, you know, I mean, I don't. That's why it's easier for me to, I guess, forgive because I pretty much, you know, I mean, to your point, you got Yoda and Chewbacca were good buddies, and Darth Vader built C three PO, and it's like, I just kind of just whatever, <laughs> I, I kind of let it all go. So I don't really think about that when I think about Boba Fett as a character. I just kind of don't count it because. Mm-hmm. You know, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I mean, so much of what happens in the prequels, pretty much everything that happens in the prequels is completely irrelevant. So it's like none of it really matters. Yeah, yeah, that's all true. I will say real quick before we move on to the next subject, I'm actually I think we're all in agreement about the way we feel about the way the prequels introduced Boba Fett. And, yeah. but, I, but I'm kind of surprised that out of four people on this podcast, not one of us liked it. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's kind of sad and depressing, but I, 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 I was hoping somebody would argue the other, uh, the other side. <laughs> I th- I, Neil, I think you'll find those statistics bear out. Yeah. I've, I'm, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I, this, this might be a future episode of this podcast, but my friend Paul, has said that without defending the movie or anything, like when a few episodes ago, I did a ranking of all of the Star Wars movies. He, in his feedback, he said that of the three prequels, he thought Attack of the Clones was the best, which I think is a minority opinion by far. Oh my God, I wish you had him on this podcast. Well, I asked him I asked him why he said that, and his answer, his very short, succinct answer was, it's the most toyetic. Which well, that's I true. See, I can see. I definitely see that voice. So I might have. Right. To, I might have to have him on a future episode to discuss that. All right. Let's uh, fast forward again. So again, once Disney got the rights and they're making their new, they they announced that they're going to do this new trilogy, continuing the Skywalker saga. They also have these plans for these three solo standalone movies. And initially, a Boba Fett movie was going to be one of them. In fact, it was going to be the second one. They were going to do Rogue One in 2016. Boba Fett in 2018 and Solo was supposed to be 2020. 
Josh Trank was hired to write and direct uh, the Boba Fett movie. In fact, I believe they were as close as like one of their D20 or Star Wars celebration like weekends, like events where they were going to bring him out and like they were going to pump up the, the movie then. And at the exact same time, he was directing the colossal failure that was the Fantastic Four remake or, or not remake, but reboot. Um, there was a lot of public stuff going on with his uh, his off-screen behavior, treatment of the cast, just other weird stories about vandalism of houses. A lot of lot of weird behind-the-scenes stuff, but pretty much imploded. And I think the Fantastic Four movie ended up getting taken out of his hands. Um, so Disney was like, yeah, we're not going to announce that movie. And then they very quietly never did that. Uh, and they moved Solo up ahead of the schedule. And then instead... A year or two later, we started getting rumblings of a live-action TV series about a Boba Fett type of character, or we get the Mandalorian. Before we talk about the Mandalorian, like I, I when I heard about the properties that they wanted to do these solo things, they were like, okay, Rogue One, it's the story of how they get the plans for the Death Star. I'm like, I don't need to hear that story. Uh, a Han Solo origin story, I don't need to hear that story. And then a Boba Fett one, by that point, I was like, do I care about Boba Fett after I felt like the prequels ruined him? The one type of thing, and I, I did actually mention this in, in an episode of this podcast a couple of years ago. I was like, if they had done an, a Boba Fett movie, I wanted it to do, I wanted to keep the mystery and make it like a Western, like True Grit or 310 to Yuma. And I was like, basically mm-hmm. keep him in the costume the entire time and not make him the POV character. Have him handcuffed to somebody like a bounty that he's captured or somebody that he has to protect. And that person will be our POV, like our, our audience. Mm. Have it be their story. So that it's it's their experience with Boba Fett. But that way we can still have him be in the costume and we don't really get to know him any, any closer than that. Um, but I was like, you know, they're never going to do something like that. And then the Mandalorian. <laughs> and right. after the first two episodes, I'm like, this is suspiciously what I wanted from the Boba Fett movie. What did you think of either the rumors of a possible Boba Fett solo movie at that time or just kind of where the Mandalorian took the concept of this character, this Mandalorian bounty hunter, and ran, and ran with it? Yeah, I mean, I, I was there for the Boba Fett movie when they when that was on the slate i was i was interested i mean i was also you know my my interest level in the other properties was it sounds like you know higher than at least yours as well ryan um i mean i know a lot of people have expressed the same thing you said about solo and i mean i'm there all day for as many side solo han solo adventures as they'll give me but my interest in a boba fett movie is 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 based on one contingency which is it's what i want to see fully realized you know in a visual you know, medium that we really haven't gotten, not even in the Mandalorian, which is, you know, a, a Star Wars story set entirely in the Star Wars underworld. Yep. I want to see that explored. Yep. You know, I mean, Mandalorian is, is like you were saying, it's more of a spaghetti Western. He, he's, mm-hmm. he's in the outer rim. He's not really, you know, near a lot of big, you know, uh, heavily populated, populated planets or, you know, like de- definitely no, no like major cities. Yeah, he can and, dip his fingers in the in like those little worlds, but yeah, it's the lone wolf and cub thing keeps him isolated from that. Exactly, he's mostly. I mean, they mostly put him on desert planets, and you know, so you keep that whole motif going. Where you know, I would expect to see you know Boba Fett, and that's kind of what I'm hopeful for, and what the series is going to be. He's going to be operating 
you know, in the core planets, right? I mean, we might even see them on Coruscant and some of these other more heavily populated, more an urban kind of thing. And yeah, so I want to see that explored. I mean, they touched on it a little bit in the Clone Wars animated series when Darth Maul kind of had his rise to power, but they glossed over it. Like you got introduced to all the different crime organizations and it was really cool, but they didn't explore it. And I want to see that. So I'm not that interested in the character and I'm kind of hoping, whereas, you know, the Mandalorian obviously was introduced as, you know, the very, you know, the, the classic archetype that Clint Eastwood, you know, created with the, the man with no name, but obviously they, they, they gave this guy humanity and he, you know, he was fleshed out as a character you know, by the end of this last season. I'm content to see Boba Fett stay true to that. I'm you know, the man with no name. I don't need, you know, a character arc for him. I don't need, you know, to him have some moment where he's you know, taking his helmet off and baby Yoda's touching his face and all that. <laughs> I like, I want him to, you know, I want the, the plot to be driven by, you know, his agenda and what he's trying to achieve very much like the Clint Eastwood spaghetti Westerns. And to have that that world, that underworld, fully explored in a visual medium because we have not seen that. And that's that's what I wanted from the movie, and it's what I'm hopeful for in the show. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I want to see. I, I want to see just murder and mayhem and <laughs> bounties being captured and just being a badass and collecting money. <laughs> just that, That's all I really want to see. I don't care about his backstory. I don't, like you said, I don't need some over, like some crazy arc. I just want to see that side of Star Wars. Yeah, I think I I kind of already touched on this a little bit, like in you know a little bit earlier. But I think the one thing because of the introduction of the character and the hype surrounding him when I was younger, I would have liked I would have liked to see like a film about that like that three years in between Empire and Jedi. And I just would have, you know just and and now the the irony is I didn't even know this at the time when I, I didn't know that Mandalorians didn't take off their helmets. That's not something that ever registered with me as a kid. So I kept thinking like, oh, this will be so cool to have like this this heist type film or a great escape type film where this guy gets to wear disguises and you know it, you know all these different things about how he's going to go about getting his bounty. You know, you can make it like this amazing this amazing heist film and make him you. Know, that that type of thing make him an anti-hero but i always thought i wanted to know like what made this guy so cool that as a kid i knew that he was cool i knew that i should think he's cool i just never quite got to see why he was cool so point point, point of fact uh real quick uh just you know a little, little nerd uh semantics here, or uh pedantry here it's actually one year between empire and jedi okay but I just, like I said, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine. I never imagined, even even when it Return of the Jedi came out, I never for once thought that Boba Fett just happened to be there for a year hanging out. Right. Like even, I, there was no, I just figured he probably comes and goes. You know, he takes jobs for Jabba and goes and gets them and brings them in. You know, yeah, that I, that's, I just, I just figured he had, <laughs> he had a fucking cool ass life. <laughs> I, I actually, I kind of wanted to know your guys' feelings about his appearance in the second season of The Mandalorian. Because again, just feeling disappointed in where we get where we left off the character with with the prequels. But by the time we got to the Mandalorian, it, within the first season, you got to see a character who looked approximately like Boba Fett, picking up randomly bounties, doing jailbreaks, taking out assassins, ha- having the story, but also kind of with this arc that kind of shows some humanity to the character. I was like this is kind of everything that I needed from a Boba Fett type of story or whatever. And a little bit different, maybe not the exact story that I wanted, but 
it's given me enough that I don't necessarily need to see Boba Fett again. So when we get season two, first of all, in the first episode, we get Marshall Raylan Givens wearing the armor. Um, <laughs> I, I love Timothy Olyphant. I love him. <laughs> That's good. Um, having, having him wear the armor, I was like, okay, that was kind of interesting. And then a few episodes later, we get Tamara Morrison playing, coming back and, and putting on the armor. And they made a big deal. I mean, Robert Rodriguez, Desperado from Dust of Dawn, also Spy Kids. Um, he, he's directing this episode where Boba Fett comes in and we see this character really for the first time cutting loose, laying waste to all of these stormtroopers. But to me, I was, it, there's something about it that kept me at an arm's distance because he just didn't move like the Boba Fett that we, that Jeremy Bullock was playing in the old movies. They, there was something more kind of primal and savage about him that kind of flew in the face of the Boba Fett that I had always pictured. So to me, it almost it, it just felt like a, it was almost a separate character. And then for the next couple of episodes, he's pretty much just their getaway pilot. It doesn't really like contribute much to the episode. So I was like, I feel like this is almost kind of a waste. I don't need to see more Boba Fett. I kind of just want them. And then you know the epilogue to the second season. You know this this post credit little stinger thing where he <laughs> walks into Jabba's palace and we see Fat Bib Fortuna. <laughs> um, which, which, by the way, I, I thought until today, I would have guessed that Robert Rodriguez directed that sequence, too. Uh, but it was actually Peyton Reed uh, who directed oh. the whole episode. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Boba Fett takes out uh, Bid Fortuna and basically takes his seat with Fennec Shen, played by Ming-Na Wen, who I've always had a fan crush on since her days in ER, like 25 years ago. Um, and the two of them sitting on the thing like the little throne and I'm like okay if they actually do what Chris was talking about as Boba Fett the like cartel like 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 the the godfather yeah like like the godfather or the wire or Scarface with Boba Fett I was like now you have my interest like I was like I I didn't realize I wanted that story but now yeah I kind of that's that's a story I'd be willing to follow did you guys have any thoughts similar to mine or completely different from mine about his appearances in the second season? Right. I think I probably, you know, it's interesting. I kind of, ha- I, I ended up at the same place you did um, the same, like after the post-credit sequence kind of thing, then it, like, I didn't know that I needed to see that kind of thing until all of a sudden, like the, we talked about this earlier. I think all of us have touched on the fact, you know, by bringing, you know, the Mandalorian going back to Tatooine and then all that, you know, like, again, it all shrinks the universe. And I kept thinking like, oh, we don't need this. You know, we don't need this stuff. And then the, the I think Boba Fett appeared in the very last shot of, you know, with his back to the camera in like episode three or four of season two or something. And I didn't even know it was Boba Fett at the time. Jason, you're the one that told me that. Um but then bring it. So the announcement that he was back just kind of gave me like a, okay, here we go. We're jumping the shark once again, you know, like this is, you know, fan service kind of thing. So I didn't really feel like I needed that yet. Now looking back on the first, the two seasons as a whole of the Mandalorian, the story that I kind of wanted that I was excited about with the Mandalorian, which we've all talked about these like tales of most Eisley kind of things, like all these, the underworld stuff, the introduction of the Mandalorian in the first episode of the first season and his bounty. And then the second, like 
as great as that was, then he took on a different character and became a different, it, it went a completely different direction. And I love everything that they've done with that. I love what they've done with it, but they veered away from the story that I kind of wanted. So I feel like now with the way that they ended and then Boba Fett now taking over this thing and the last shot now kind of reminded me what I was hoping the Mandalorian series would be with like, just not necessarily an anthology, but just every episode he's going out on a mission kind of thing like that type of stuff. Um, and it became this, you know, completely different love story between him and the child and humanity and, you know, that uh, all that stuff. So long story short, I didn't think I really would ever need to see a Boba Fett series. You know, I, I didn't think that, especially in the universe of the Mandalorian that's already happening, except for the fact that the Mandalorian's character has changed. He has become a different character as the story's gone on, which was necessary. And I'm not knocking it. And I love what they've done with him. I love the direction they took him. But now Boba Fett gets to be that dirtier, uglier, darker side of the Mandalorians and the gangsters and the criminals. That now we get to see that to play out in the same universe. So I didn't think I needed that until the end of the season. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, now I'm in. I need to see that. Just I agree with everything Neil said. I, I felt like the first season of Mando started out with what, what I wanted to see. And I, I, I think about in uh, the opening scene in Rogue One where Cassian Andor is there with that, that guy that's giving him information and he can't escape. So Cassian just shoots him. Yeah. Like I, that's again, the side of star Wars that I want to see, like that really seedy, ugly, like underbelly. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't as excited to see Boba Fett as I thought I would be um, until that, until that teaser at the end or cause I'm like, okay, that's a show I want to watch. I want to see, I want to see the scum and the villainy. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, uh, I think we all arrived at the same point, maybe, uh, you know, by different routes, I was emphatically against Boba Fett coming back. And when I had heard Tamora Morrison was cast, I was desperately hoping he was going to be like Rex or one of the clones as opposed to. I still want to see him show up as Rex with the I would love to see that too. Yeah. And I I bet we'll see that either in the Ahsoka or the Rangers of the New Republic show. I I would, I would very much like that. So I was actually, I let out, you know, at the, at the the end of that uh, first episode, or the, I can't remember if it's the first or the second that we see the, him at the end. He's at the very end of the first one. The first, the first episode, one yeah. is yeah. is when Din Djarin gets the the Mandalorian armor from exactly a Timothy Elephant. Correct. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I I, I groaned. I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, come on. But yes, I I was made a believer uh, by the time we get to that that stinger at the end of the season <laughs> finale and the episode the, the episode uh, the tragedy i think is the title of the episode where we see boba fett in action uh, it made me sit up and pay attention i'm like okay all right that was pretty cool and what i liked about it and why i'm willing to be forgiving about this and it's difficult because the franchise keeps wanting to do this they keep wanting they you know they did it with darth maul in the clone wars and then in, in the rebels you know, they, they resurrect these characters and it's like, obviously they did it with the emperor in you know, rise of Skywalker, but that had already been done. in you know, some of the expanded universe that was then decanonized, but it, you know, and I, and I instinctively push back against that because no matter how, what you feel about, you know, what happens to him in return of the Jedi, there could be no doubt that it was intended for him to be dead. There was no, right, like, right. maybe he lived. No, they, they killed him. <laughs> they, that's what that's what they wanted to have happen there. That was the read on that. That was what they want the audiences to think that he died. 
So, you know, I forgave for Darth Maul because they did excellent character work with him. And I loved his story. And I mean, if you can forgive a dude getting cut in half and falling down a bottomless pit, coming back to life somehow, it's not that hard to forgive a dude in a jetpack escaping from a hole. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, and it all depends on how well they handle it. Right. So, right. yeah. So again, we see him in that episode, the tragedy, great episode, love what they did with them. And then of course, yes, the end kills fat Bo- bib Fortuna. And, and, you know, and I, I, I keep mentioning this to people and I, I find it distressing that this happened during that scene is, you know, Boba Fett's been in that palace. He knows the trap door is right in front of the throne. I don't know why he walked. The <laughs> now, in fairness, he knows the rancor is dead, but it's been five years. They could have gotten a new one. And even if it was empty, he's still trapped in the dungeon. So it's like, maybe they'll do that. But Bib Fortuna was off his game, so it all worked out. Yeah, well, you got to um, remember, the, re- the last shot we had of the rancor keeper, too, you know uh, that guy was getting another pet. Exactly. I mean, he had to move on. You know, yeah. He to, yeah, he cried. He wept. He, but, you know, he, he was going to get another one. Did I, so, did I tell you guys my theory that the Rancor Keeper should have been the big villain of the new trilogy because he had the reason to hate the, Luke and Leia the most? Because the prequel, or no, the sequel trilogy should have been about the Rancor Keeper's revenge. Right? <laughs> if, 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 if they would have gone, once they got to, what was it, Exegol, whatever that name of that planet Exegol. was? Exegol. Exegol, yeah. Exegol, yeah. It's, uh, I'm trying not to remember very much about that movie. If they had gone in there and there was like, all a mystery, and it was revealed to be the Rancor Keeper, I would declare it the greatest Star Wars movie ever made. That would have been amazing had that been the case. Just an army of Rancors with the big laser guns on their backs. Exactly. Yeah, like, oh, that that would have been brilliant. Yeah, but but if the Rancor Keeper was still crying, that would have been like... (laughs) (laughs) Like, he's still still a tear-straight face. Yes! (laughs) You killed my pet! (laughs) And there's still that other guy just trying to hug it out, just trying to comfort exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, exactly. hey, he's like, he's like, Larry, come on, dude. It's been like 30 years, man. Yeah, let it go, buddy. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> but when we see, okay, so when we see Boba Fett back in action in that that episode, uh, the tragedy um, in in the Mandalorian, what I like the most about it is it redeemed the character because everything the franchise is done with the character after the empire strikes back indicates a woefulness understanding of who the character was or was meant to be very true a lot you see the lot in popular culture where you get like a little you know a, a minor character suddenly gains like a fandom and then they just take this character in like weird places where like that's not the character what are you yep. doing because one of the greatest crimes you know they they did to Boba Fett was in a lot of the you know expanded universe stuff and uh you know, particularly, I mean, I guess not in Jedi so much, but like, you know, the fact that he's still hanging around with Jabba, I mean, they're making him a villain. Boba Fett was never a villain. He never, he, he was in it for the money. I yeah. mean, it was like, he was a Correct. bounty hunter. Yep. He, he wasn't, he wasn't aligned with Darth Vader and the empire. He was just working with them so he could get paid. So the idea that he's hanging out with Jabba the Hutt, like they're palling around. I'm just like, come on. I mean, the dude Which gets was money. A, you know, I was just going to say that was ironically kind of first introduced in the holiday special, the cartoon. Yeah, he was, yeah. he, was, he, was ju- he was just uh, he was just in it for money. Exactly. So it's like he had no allegiance to good or bad. Exactly. So then, by the time that comes comes around to this episode of The Mandalorian with him, and he he, he brokers that deal with, uh, with with Din Djarin to get his armor back, they 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 you know establish him as uh, a man of honor. 
Yeah, right? He's, right. he's not a villain. I mean, if he's a villain, he would have just, you know, killed Din Djarin and taken the armor. Yep. No, he negotiates a deal with him and he upholds his deal. And then even at the end, you know, when Din Djarin is like, hey, you know, yeah, they, you know, I appreciate the help. And Boba Fett's like, no, we were supposed to help you protect him. Now we're yep. going to help you get him back. Yep. So that immediately sets up like an interesting character that I would like to follow through, you know, a, a series on its own. So I'm like, you know, he was redeemed. And I think... Obviously, you have to account for his death or whatever happened to him. But I think if you just take The Empire Strikes Back and pretty much just fast forward right to that episode of The Mandalorian, I think that's a, you know, those two bookends are a better depiction of the character than almost everything that happened in between. <laughs> you know, in, in a, based on everything you said, first of all, well said, well, well described. I, I agree with all of it. I, I kind of, in hindsight, I wish he just wasn't even in Return of the Jedi. Like if they just, after, like we, we got the notion that he brought Han Solo to Jabba, Han Solo yeah. was frozen on Jabba's wall, and then we just didn't need to see Boba Fett again. He was out doing his own shit. And then you bring him back in the Mandalorian. It's like, oh, what's this guy been up to? You know, exactly. well, he lost his armor. How did he lose it? Like there there's so much cool shit there when you don't know it. <laughs> well, exactly, and then and obviously he he you know the the his prestige and you know in the fan community grew in the intervening years between Empire and Jedi. So they're like, oh, we got to make sure he's in this movie, and then we also have to give him a shitty villain's death, even yeah. though he's not shitty and he's not a villain. Right. So it's like they, they completely misunderstood the character and then continued to misunderstand him. I mean, I don't, I don't remember like the the details of Dark Empire. And his role in it. But I know he, he was a villain. I mean, he was just a bad guy. Yeah. And it was like, but that's not who he really was. So it's it's good to see him redeemed and like kind of like they reset the character to the interesting place in which he began and we can move forward from there. You know what's fascinating, Chris? I don't even I don't think I've even made this distinction until now, thanks to you after your description. But now that I'm thinking about it, he had no dog in the fight against Luke at Jabba's Palace anyway. No. Like, there was absolutely no reason he should have even been on the sail barge. And if he was, I mean, he should have just lit out as soon as shit went down. I mean, yeah, why? there was, why there was a, he had he had no reason to get involved in that fight. He's not getting paid. Nope. <laughs> but, but, because, but because they cast him as the villain, yes. he's a bad guy. He's got to do yeah. bad guy shit. And he's not. Yeah. So, yeah, good point. Wow. I, I had that thought earlier when I was asking about, you know, the, that three-year wait period to see this character again. And I was thinking to myself, why they even put him in the movie? That's a good point. Yeah, to just disappoint everyone and have him go out like a punk. Well, he'd yeah. be. You know, I think the the obvious answer is he became a fan favorite. Exactly. Uh, I actually, I while we were talking, I remember now what was in continuity. You know, prior to five years ago, but how he escaped was he was in the Sarlacc pit, and basically he detonated his jetpack. He got his jetpack to explode and basically blow a hole in the Sarlacc almost killed himself in doing it. It basically like it ruined his armor, covered his whole body in like flames and scars and everything. But he was able to crawl out onto the sand and basically crawl through the desert. And then Dengar found him or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, I don't remember any of the details about this, but for some reason I feel like you and I, and maybe this is going way back to that trip to Florida or something, but I felt like you told me once, or you were reading a book or something about like Dengar, Boba Fett and this chick named Neela that were just, Fly. I, I don't know I if that was a comic or if that was a book or if that was the continuation of his escape, but I feel like you were telling me about it. If that wasn't in Dark Empire, then it was something around that. Because, yeah, there was – well, I mean, I mean, the other thing about, you know, thinking about going forward with the book of Boba Fett, I mean, now that they brought him back 
does anybody think we won't see, you know, Zuckus for LOM, the other bounty hunters from that? Oh, I guarantee we will. Absolutely guarantee we will. We absolutely shouldn't, but yeah. We yeah, <laughs> right, right. No, no, yeah, that, let me preface that. Based on everything we've said tonight, yes, we don't need to see them, but I guarantee you we will. You know, it'll be interesting, and you know, this now just occurred to me, because, you know, like, Ryan, when you and I were talking about, like, the uh, the Disney Investor Day and how some of these shows might tie in and bring, you know, live-action versions of some of these characters from the animated series, and I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but did, did Cad Bane survive the Clone Wars series? Is he Was he still alive at the end of that series? That's do you remember? That's a good question. I Jason, do you know? No, I don't remember. I feel like he is. I don't remember him dying. I'm thinking that could be an interesting character introduction in in the Boba Fett series is a live action Cad Bane. Yeah, because I think the the movie Solo mentions the death of Aura Singh, who was the uh, right. the prequel era bounty hunter, the white the white skinned chick in red leather, who I like yes. her. But yeah, they mentioned that uh, Woody Harrelson's character killed her. Yes, I do remember that. I have to look that up. That would, that would I, be interesting, especially if they set him up as a potential rival like a like yeah. if he was the villain of the of boba fett story that could be cool yeah that would be very cool i mean that's and a dave filoni creation too exactly and by the way you mentioned ara singh i mean very much i i remember her appearance in the phantom menace very much weirdly set up as the boba fett of that trilogy and then dropped like she has a one quick appearance and like she had a, they got an action figure of her and like they talked about her and then they, she never showed up again they the lucasfilm has always done that they get like yeah photo like pictures of these characters just on the set and they're just like we're gonna market the hell out of this one it's almost wonder if like they do it at random like like yeah and like and captain phasma was like the latest right. one and everything like that and captain phasma was never supposed to be a big deal except for the fact that they cast gwendolyn christie so right. everyone was like okay well that you don't get a like an actress like that to play this part unless it's going to be a big thing and it's like and it turns no. out yes you do <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Aura Singh only shown like standing on a balcony yeah, at like the, the podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was like, but I remember the fandom. I remember, and honestly, I'm, I'm going to give Chris, you, and Ryan. I, you guys were the ones that were like, "Oh shit, look who that is!" And then you know, so naturally, I'm like going, "Okay, this is going to be a big deal." And then, yeah. nope. She got and, she got and, and an you know action a, figure. She got a six yeah. issue comic book miniseries. Yes, like, all really that. All they, they they did bring her into uh, the Clone Wars animated series a little bit, yeah. And, and you know, and what's really dumb about it is, you know, obviously the the opening you know sequence of Attack of the Clones involves a bounty hunter. It's like, why, why, not, <laughs> why not this one? <laughs> wow, that's well, that's true. So yeah, I mean, it's just weird. And I mean, you know, and, and Darth Maul, I think, was very much also you know a Boba Fett of yeah. That, I always thought so. Trilogy. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, in reality, he really didn't do anything. I mean, yeah, he had a cool lightsaber battle, and he killed a character that we had only just briefly met and then died himself. But, yeah, I mean, I think he was even more of a Boba Fett than Boba Fett is said to be in terms of his, you know, relevance and importance. But, boy, he was marketed the same way. It's a, it's a cool-looking character. I mean, that's, yeah. that's Star Wars, man. You get a cool-looking character. It doesn't matter what they do or how often they're actually on screen. Yep, Darth Maul was everywhere the year that came out, though, man. There's a whole lot yep. of tattoos of Darth Maul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and in fairness, they did redeem the character in the animated series. I mean, like, in space. Oh, he's the second I mean, most interesting character in that whole show. Agreed. Do you think we'll see Cobb Vanth in the Book of Boba Fett? 
Well, I mean, it depends on how much time they spend in Tatooine because he does. I mean, I, I like the I like again. I, I I am a huge fan of Timothy Oliphant. I want to see him in everything, but the way they presented that character, he doesn't seem like the guy who's going to leave his village or his town unless he needs to. Right. So if they spend more time on Tatooine, maybe, but I, I can't imagine. Wait, did you guys know who that character was before he was in The Mandalorian? No, I don't yeah, think he, they... Uh, he, he, he was set up in uh, in like the some of the books. That there, was, oh. yeah, there was a book called Aftermath that just mentioned yeah. that he, he, or he ended up with this armor. But Oh, I did not know that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I had no idea. He, he, he doesn't have a long it. history. Like He didn't no, exist before no. four years ago. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm thinking no to answer your question, Jason. At least I'm hoping though, because obviously, you know, where we're, we're you know, the, this, the series or at least the teaser we got for this kicking off is on Tatooine and Jabba's palace. But mm-hmm. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense logistically for Boba Fett to stay there because nothing was happening there. But it just <laughs> obviously, it was meant to be symbolic. Yes. And- I get, my first thought with him was that, you know, since he was quote unquote the marshal. You know, that would maybe be what the dynamic is, you know, trying to enforce whatever laws might exist there. And well, you know, the thing is, though, I mean, if, if crime Boba, in town. It, but, but if, if we get, you know, the adventures of Boba Fett on Tatooine, I mean, that's just going to be redundant to what we've already gotten with the Mandalorian. This, I mean, this show needs to be set in the core core planets. It has to be. If, Otherwise, if not, it, yeah, if not the core, then actually. I'm gonna. I'm going back to Dark Empire again, but where we actually meet Boba Fett in that one when he's chasing Han and Leia, um, it's a planet, or it's it's the Smuggler's Moon called Narshada. Narshada, yeah. Um, which, uh, if for anybody, if you're not familiar, like picture Coruscant as basically the entire like moon is one big mm-hmm. city, but like darker, like Blade Runner. Like oh, cool, yeah. yeah, like like they really just kind of like like the sun never shines on this place. It's just exactly. always like like well, always and, just and, like seeing. And and if Boba Fett is operating there, that would be cool. I would like to see that. And Narshada is actually a moon that orbits the, the Hut homeworld. Nalhada. Yeah, yeah, Nalhada. yeah, yeah. The which Hutt, is definitely which is seen briefly in uh, the Clone Wars animated series, but definitely I would love to see live action. Quite frankly, is where the opening of Return of the Jedi should have been set, but. Yeah, Love I never understood why Jabba the Hutt was on Tatooine, but um, I don't, that's uh, yeah, exactly. a different discussion. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they, because they, you know, they, they, they're doing the spaghetti western with the Mandalorian. They, they can't do that again. Otherwise, right. there's no point to the show. It has to be something different. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got. I, I agree with everything, and I've kind of felt this way too. Like where I, I need, I want this guy to be like more involved in organized crime. So it's got to be in a much more urban setting. Exactly, and that's what I want to see. I mean, yeah. My, my hope for the show is obviously, if you look at it realistically, this guy doesn't have, he doesn't have soldiers. He doesn't have a, a you know, like a, you know, any thugs or anybody that works for him. It's just him and, and, and Fennec Shand. And, you know, in the Clone Wars series, when, you know, Darth Maul and his brother Savage Press took over all the criminal organizations, it was, it was kind of dumb because he just walked in. They walked into the headquarters of each of the major, and, and just killed everybody in there. And then now I run the thing. And I'm like, well, that seems really easy. So obviously, and this is what I'm hoping, and I think it would make sense, is that we're going to get some, you know, more of this guy using his wits than brute force to, you know, take whatever control or gain whatever power he's looking for. So I'm kind of hoping for like a Yajimbo, you know, fistful of dollars type of dynamic where he's infiltrating these organizations 
and manipulating them from within, turning them against each other and like bringing them down from the inside. And that's how he ascends to power or achieves whatever goal he's after. I think that would be very cool. It's too bad they've already used Giancarlo Esposito in The Mandalorian because I obviously <laughs> want I want Gus Fring's story arc from like season four of Breaking Bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> of how he wipes out the cartel. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that would be cool because again, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's like I want to see you know Black Sun and the the Pikes and all these different criminal orgs, the Hut, obviously the Hut Hut Clan. I want to see the inner workings of all these, you know, you get like the Godfather type of vibe where it's like the five families and they're, you know, that would be really cool. And I don't think you bring in somebody like Robert Rodriguez, if that's not where you're ending up, where you want to go. I agree. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, I mean, tons of speculation about where, where the book of Boba Fett might go and we're not going to know for another, you know, 12 months. Um, yeah, this was a, this was a fun talk. Any final thoughts, final impressions on Boba Fett? Um, I, I think we've all come around, to the, I, or sorry, I, I think we were all starting from the same place that he is a really cool character who has not always been treated the best by the franchise and, and by Lucasfilm, but he's every bit deserving the reputation that he had in 1980 when we first saw him. Yes. Um, yeah. Final closing thoughts before we go? Uh, I just want to say uh, R.I.P. Jeremy Bullock. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, did uh, Chris? Did you ever? Did, I don't remember if we talked about it. Did you get a chance to meet him? Did you see him at a convention or something? I did not. That uh, the thing you're, you're referring to is I have a print. Uh, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, it's like a limited print. They did fifteen hundred of these. I got from like the Star Wars fan club, like back in the nineties. Oh yeah, it's, called, the, it's the illustrated by Dave Dorman. Yeah, exactly. Fall of the Bounty Hunter, and it's hand signed and numbered by the artist, and then Jeremy Bullock, the actor that portrays him. So I've had that framed on my wall for like twenty years. Very cool. Very cool. I, I kind of touched on this already. I think, you know, I, I felt like Boba Fett's mystique and mythos was wasted in Return of the Jedi. And then I just kind of lost interest. And then I, when the Mandalorian brought him back, my initial reaction was, oh, God, I don't need this. And then they did him right. They did him right. And so it, they, mm-hmm. they, I think they, he, he was served well. And now I'm very interested in his story and all this stuff. I do have to say, though, I really want him to get back to his gray fatigues underneath the robes because I don't like seeing the armor on like a Ronin samurai kind of character. It, it doesn't work for me. I think that'll depend on how much, how good a shape Tamar Morrison can get in. Well, yeah, they're, they're high. He's hiding a pouch. Uh, he's, he's hiding something. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, any final thoughts before we go? No, I mean, I I wasn't that excited to to see Boba Fett again, but I, I am now, and I and I hope that they go in the direction of like Rogue One, and it's just a little bit grittier and darker uh, of a series than than what the Mandalorian ended up turning out to be. If that, if that's the show that we're getting, then then I'm excited. Yeah, I th- and yeah, I'm definitely hoping so. I I mean, I think. I think they need to do that just to distinguish. I mean, if you if you got two flagship shows with guys in costumes that look almost the same, you got you got to do something that really kind of distinguishes them. So hopefully the tone for that one is uh, is different. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, once again, Neil, Chris, Jason, thank you very much for uh, joining me on this episode to talk about the galaxy's baddest bounty hunter. Um, <laughs> folks, we are going to take a promotional break right now, but I will be back on the other side of that to address your feedback from the last episode. Don't go away. And action! It's Fade Out, hosted by film fanatic Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests. 
Fade Out will examine the final films of Hollywood's brightest lights, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Gimme That Star Trek. A new episode every month, only at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes. Last episode, Chris and I discussed what we thought were all of the upcoming Star Wars projects coming to theaters and Disney Plus in the next couple of years. Of course, our coverage was almost immediately out of date because another project was announced at the end of The Mandalorian Season 2, and that is the Book of Boba Fett series that we all speculated about on this episode. As usual, we got some great feedback on the last episode. Here are the comments that were left on the website post, which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. First comment came from Chris Franklin from the same network. Chris said, Yesterday on his Disney Dish podcast, Disney insider Jim Hill said he heard Lando may also feature Billy D. Williams in a narrator-type role, where he's telling the adventures of his younger days, which will of course feature Donald Glover. I hope this is the case, as I would love to see Billy D. get some more love as well. Yeah, I mean, if they could... If they could somehow use both of the actors to play Lando, like having like the the Billy D. Williams when narrating his his younger self, that would be terrific. I would I'd be all over that. Uh, Chris also said Ahsoka's appearance on The Mandalorian and the announcement of her series has sent my daughter on a binge of the Clone Wars to be followed by Rebels. So good on you, Lucasfilm! You are ensuring Star Wars lives on past us old farts. Indeed, indeed, that is very much the case. Uh, Brian Linton said, I have been rereading Stackpole's X-Wing series, so I was primed for the Rogue Squadron movie announcement. Just listening to Ryan recap the teaser video made me feel giddy. An article on the Star Wars website states that the story will introduce a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary-pushing high-speed thrill ride and move the saga into the future era of the galaxy. That quote leads me to believe that this may be a post-sequel trilogy timeline movie. Yeah, it certainly says. I mean, setting up the future, that that definitely suggests that it might take place after The Rise of Skywalker, which is all kinds of exciting, because that means possibly new threats or new characters and new situations. Uh, Yeah, just whatever they end up doing, just the concept of X-Wing Rogue Squadron fills me with joy. And I'm happy I've been seeing a lot of people have been going back and either rereading those books or reading them for the first time, a lot of my friends in the community. And that is always good to see. I I, I did reread the first two books of the series about five years ago. So maybe I can pick that up too, but... Uh, gosh, there's there's no shortage of stuff that I do need to read. Uh, speaking of which, Brian says, I'm also up for anything in which Dave Filoni is involved. I consider him the heir apparent to Lucas's vision of the Star Wars universe, i.e. Filoni just seems to get what Star Wars is all about. My daughter is a big Ahsoka fan, her second favorite Star Wars character next to Padme, so I'm looking forward to her reaction to the Ahsoka series announcement. I haven't told her yet because we're planning to watch The Mandalorian over the holidays, 
and I want Ahsoka's appearance in that series to be a surprise. <laughs> that, is, that is cool. Very, very nice way to treat your daughter. So hope hope that turns out really well. You're going to have to let me know. Finally, I was excited to hear that Children of Blood and Bone will be coming to the big screen. In the early months of the pandemic, I read and enjoyed both Children of Blood and Bone and the follow-up novel, Children of Virtue and Vengeance. I am all for seeing more inclusion in the traditionally Eurocentric fantasy genre, and this story should be a worthy contender. That is, yeah, that is great to hear. Um, I I assumed there would be, but I didn't know that the follow up book was was out already. Um, yeah, I've had the the first book, Children of Blood and Bone, forever. I finally got around to start reading it. I'm only like eighty pages into it or so, um, and I, it's it's been a slow boat because I keep I'll, I'll you know read a chapter of that and then I get waylaid reading some other stuff because my my to read pile right now is pretty big and it's full of other stuff that I need for podcasting and other kinds of research. But um, yeah, I do I do want to get into that book and really finish it because I'm enjoying the heck out of it and I think that could be a very very cool new franchise that uh, a lot of people will get behind. Uh, Paul Hicks from the DCOCD cast and The Gary Show said, I do worry that there are too many projects in the hopper. I'm not sure the casual viewers will have the appetite for more than two Star Wars shows at once. Time will tell. I must admit I'd feel better about this if Disney weren't being absolute pricks to people like Alan Dean Foster. Anyway, yay, massive corporations. Yeah, I I definitely, I know what you're saying there. And if anybody doesn't know, Alan Dean Foster, who wrote the Splinter of the Mind's Eye uh, novel, but also the, the, uh, the, he ghost wrote the novelization of Star Wars that Jonathan Schaefer Hames and I talked about on an earlier episode. I also think he, he wrote the novelization to Alien, too. Um, basically all of these things that he wrote when his original publishing contract was with Fox. Now that Disney has bought out Fox, they're saying that they don't have to honor the contract and and you know pay the royalties and rights to this author, which is disgustingly selfish and greedy and also legally very dubious. I don't think anybody would believe that. But they didn't get rich by giving away their money. That's that seems to be the the phrase that everybody uses. So we'll see. Hopefully they'll have to pay up because uh, Foster obviously deserves it, as does any author who works under those conditions. Uh, and then Paul also added, "Oh, my choice for director and star for a Star Wars project: Doug Liman and Tony Dalton from Better Call Saul." Doug Liman would be a very interesting choice for a director. Uh, this is a guy who did the first Born Identity, and he's done. I, I mean, if you sign him, I think he automatically comes with Tom Cruise in the movie because uh, he's he did like the, he's done a bunch of Tom Cruise projects and he's got more coming out soon. Um, but yeah, certainly his his style of close up action and and hand to hand combat, but also like, yeah, just like that. Oh yeah, that's that's a good pick. That's very interesting. I'm thinking about that now. Uh, Tim Price from The Outcaster said, Except for members of the toxic side of fandom, this has to be an embarrassment of riches in terms of content. You don't have to like it, but there's something for any Star Wars fan. I just finished watching Rebels and Clone Wars' final season just before Mandalorian Season 2 started, which was great and unintentional timing with the ties between all of those shows. So that was lucky. Those all make me very excited for Ahsoka's series. She was a gem of the 
Ongoing animated series. And I totally agree with Chris. The finale of Clone Wars was phenomenal. It mostly laid to rest my overarching problem with Clone Wars, knowing the tragedy that this is all leading up to. That foreknowledge colored the experience of watching that series too much, but the final episodes, it all worked beautifully. Finally, I haven't read any Expanded Universe books or comics, but even so, I'd heard the name Rogue Squadron plenty of times and knew the concept, so watching the Patty Jenkins trailer, I felt a surprising amount of excitement, and I am totally on board. Now, gotta say, I'm also sorry that Ms. Jenkins possibly had to do a trailer like that to establish her Star Wars cred, which should not be necessary, but we all know which fans will complain about her inclusion. But it was so well done, emotional, and personal, I have no complaints about the trailer itself. Wonderful discussion, gents. Thank you very much. Agreed with all that. Uh, and the final comment came from J. David Weeder, who said, What is this Andor show? Did Rogue One not tell the story of Kyle Katarn? Oh, man, you know, ever since they've been, you know, mining the old expanded universe with characters like Thrawn and the TIE Defender and now the Dark Troopers, yeah, I that was my first thought when I saw them. I was like, oh, from the Dark Forces games, and Kyle Katarn was so fun, cool, cool, yeah, so, yeah, maybe we will see something like that, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, Alright folks, that is going to be it for this episode, but hopefully you won't have to wait long for another one because the next episode will feature a couple of returning guests talking about the woman that has been on everyone's mind lately, Ahsoka Tano. Until then... Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. All music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.